0: It has been said by some that life is hard and then you die. Well, I hope that no one here shares such a cynical, almost nihilistic attitude. But who can dispute the fact that life is hard, right? Now, by God's grace, there are seasons when things are just going great. They almost couldn't be better. And if you're in one of those seasons, then praise God and give thanks, because that's probably not going to (laughs) last. Because other times, life just seems to come at you and assault you almost daily with troubles and issues, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids or your job or your finances or your health, or probably some combination of those and maybe others as well. It feels sometimes like there's this avalanche of dirt and rocks and trees and all kind of jump sliding down the hill, picking up speed and about to crush what little is left of your life. And you just want to go to bed and you don't want to have to get up in the morning to face another day and figure out how am I going to cope with another 24 hours. And you may come to the point even of near despair And you cry out, Lord, Lord, I just need a breakthrough. I feel like I'm caught in this forest of thick trees and I don't know my way out. Well, maybe that's you now. Or maybe that's you soon. If it is, well, this chapter is for you. Because Judah was in crisis. Jacob's family was in complete disarray. Years before this, he had a dream He had a dream too. All he wanted was to to marry his beautiful Rachel and have a nice life together. We call that the American dream, right? The trophy wife, the beautiful house in the country, a successful business, a dog or two, and maybe a couple of kids who make you proud because they're such high-achieving kids. But then his father-in-law deceived him. And the morning light revealed that it was Leah in his bed. And not his beautiful Rachel. Leah, the the wife, he didn't want. And didn't love. But eventually, he had the wedding. He needed, he wanted, he was undeterred. He finally had the love. But then the nagging began. And then the fights and the arguments The women couldn't get along. The kids couldn't get along. And then Rachel, his love, the love of his life died, leaving him with this deep sense of loss and emptiness. And then Reuben, his son, went and slept with (laughs) Bilhah. His life had become like a country song. But at least... He still had his beloved son, Joseph, who brought him so much joy. And then one terrible, terrible day, his sons brought evidence that Joseph had been killed by wild animals, and all the rocks and debris finally crashed down upon his head and brought him to despair. Well, Jude, of course, was one of Jacob's troubled sons being raised in a dysfunctional family with a father who had issues. Judah was the fourth son of Leah, of course, the unloved wife. And Judah didn't have a lot of respect among his brothers. And after the horrible conspiracy against Joseph, he had enough. He was done. It was time to leave the family home and make his way out in the world on his own. This Christian family wasn't working for him. It was time for a new gig among the Canaanites. Big mistake. You know, the biggest problem about moving away from your problems is that your biggest yet often unrecognized problem is you. And you can't move away from yourself, can you? See, when the author tells us in verse 1 that Judah went down, that parallels Joseph's experience in going down Egypt. You compare verse thirty-eight or chapter 38, verse 1, to chapter 39, verse 1. Both Judah and Joseph went down. And by the way, at the same time, as we study chapter 38 today and then look on at chapter 39 and following through our chapter 41 understand though that that takes place over about a 20 or 20 year or maybe greater period so Judah's life is paralleling here Joseph's life in Egypt over the first 20 or 20 so, 25 years of his time in Egypt and so though Joseph is obviously very prominent in chapters 37 through 40 yet these chapters are really the story of two brothers two men Judah And Joseph, okay? And God's grace, of course, always playing a surprising role in the lives of both brothers. And so Judah went down. Down, down, down into a pit. Now Joseph had been thrown into a pit. But Judah, of his own choice, of his own decisions, sunk into this pit of ungodliness and worldliness and despair. Remember that after God had rejected the ungodly nations after Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis and chose one man, Abraham, Judah's great-grandfather, God unequivocally called Abraham's family to be his new holy nation on earth. Okay? They were not to mix with the Canaanites. They were to be a separated, which that's what their holy means. They were to be a holy or separated people. But Judah, well, what's the saying? The apple didn't fall far from the tree? Like his father, he, well, he lacked restraint with respect to women. And so we're told that he immediately takes a Canaanite woman which is the idea of sort of almost grabbing her lustfully, uh, pursuing her lustfully. He takes this Canaanite woman, and she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, and his name is Ur. Then she gives birth to a second son, and his name is Onan. She gives birth to a third son, we're told, and his name is Shelah. Now Ur grew up, and he found a woman named Tamar, and they married But we're told that Ur was wicked. Now, it's kind of interesting that the Hebrew name Ur is actually evil spelled backwards. So, that's all I got to say about that one. But before he had a son, we're told the Lord put him to death. The Lord put Ur to death. It's kind of shocking and it's reminiscent of when the Lord destroyed a wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah. But this was the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was Judah's son-in-law. The covenant family, was God against them? So Ur died without a son, leaving his widow Tamar at great risk, without protection of a man, without income. And so Judah told Onan, to get Tamar pregnant. Now, this might sound a little bit odd, but there was a a law in those days. It was called the Levirate law. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but you are at least a little bit if you've read the book of Ruth, because it's very central in the narrative of the book of Ruth. It's also important in one of Jesus's well, in one of the uh, stories that Jesus' opponents told him to try to catch him, to try to trap him in Matthew 22. The basic idea is a brother who dies without a son, I'm sorry, the brother of a man who dies without a son was to marry his brother's widow to have children his brother didn't have in order to maintain his inheritance in the land. And that's the key part, is to maintain that man's inheritance, that man's place in the land, which was the covenant territory, okay, of the people of God. And so the thing is, those children would be heirs to the woman's first husband, the brother who died. Notice it says that Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. They would be heirs to his dead brother, okay? But he was not willing to do that. He was not willing to give up his own inheritance for his brother. But he was, of course, willing to sleep with Tamar. And so he dishonored both God and his father, and we're told, well, God put him to death also. Judah's family was in self-destruct mode. I mean, it was breaking apart like concrete under a jackhammer's pounding chisel. <laughs> it was hardly the happy life that he had wanted when he left his father and his family sometime before that, was it? More importantly, God's light in the world, which was to be present in the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was being eclipsed by Judah's assimilation into the culture and people of Canaan, becoming basically just another Canaanite clan. Yes, you know, it's the problem the church has always had too. Quite a long time ago, a great man of God named Arby Kuyper... In his book on the church, and I commit it to if you ever want to read something on church, he said the most outstanding sin of ancient Israel was that instead of upholding its distinctiveness as Jehovah's chosen people, it was ever and anon imitating its heathen neighbors. And he wrote that sin is rampant in the church today. Christians tend to look around at us and see all the, the great things of the world, the successes, And all the wonderful things that we think, ah, if only we could be like that. Maybe we can. And our own hearts can lead us astray, like Eve, and like Jacob, and like Judah. The only safe place, dear ones, is sola scriptura, Scripture alone. We must reject any selfish inclinations and human traditions And religious myths, those are most dangerous. We find our place in the Word of God. And so Judah wasn't done sliding downhill into the pit. He had lost two sons to Tamar, and he blamed her. And so he was done with her. She could just remain a widow in her father's house all the days of her life. So what if Ur lost his inheritance? So what? Jude had to protect what was left of his life. She wouldn't take from him his third and only living son. Not a chance. But Tamar wasn't happy, of course. She, after all, had, had lost her husband. She was alone. She had been sexually abused by her uh, brother-in-law. The idea, when, when the word says whenever, it means it happened Frequently, time and time and time again, she was abused by her brother-in-law. Her life was just shame and frustration. And the deep anger that comes from loss and abuse and rejection of those who are supposed to love you. No, she would have children. And even better, she would get her revenge on her father-in-law. And so she set up a trap. She dressed as a prostitute knowing both Judah's work habits and his weakness, right? How easily he would jump into bed with any woman. And her assumption wasn't wrong. Judah saw her and immediately wanted her. This is a very disturbing story. You have revenge. You have deception. You have incest. You know, sin is always ugly. Always. But when you do wrong... In response to being wronged, it's even more harmful because the cycle of hurt and pain and dysfunction just deepens and everything just seems to blow apart more rapidly and, and more completely. Of course, Judah had to pay for her services and so he pledged her a goat. I don't know if that was the standard wage or not. But he didn't have that goat and so he left her with the equivalent of a driver's license and credit cards, personal items that also were identifying of the man who owned them. But when Judah returned later to pay her and have his items returned to her, well, she wasn't there, of course, because, well, she wasn't actually a prostitute working that particular corner. And Judah's like, oh, well, I tried. Let her have those things. And then three months later, he hears that his widowed daughter in law is pregnant. I mean, obviously, it was from immorality because she had no husband. And so Judah thinks, This is great. This is perfect. I'll finally be rid of this woman, finally done with her. And he says, Bring her out, and let her be burned staggering hypocrisy from a man who had been with many women, many women, and many prostitutes, in fact. But the human heart is nothing if not blind to its own hypocrisy, its own faults, and a severe judge of others as well. Jesus revealed that in a similar circumstance. You remember in John chapter 8, they wanted that woman to be judged and destroyed as well. And Jesus said, whoever is without sin, let him Cast the first stone, and they all walked away. Well, it was going exactly as Tamar had schemed. She knew her father in law well. His behavior was very predictable. And so she brought out her trump card at that point, and she said, By the man to whom these belong, by that man am I with child. Judah was caught. Be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. His own Canaanite daughter-in-law was more righteous than he was. See, it wasn't just that he was just as guilty as she would, for both had committed that act of immorality, even incest. And it wasn't just that she had sinned out of the desperation of poverty, and just trying to survive. But he, out of mere unrestrained lust, it was that her words haunted him. Because what did she say? She said, please identify these items. Beloved, those were the very words he and his brothers used some time before that with their father and the bloody coat. And they said, Please identify this if you know its owner. See, Judah had walked away from his father and his family, judging them, despising them, but he was just like them. (laughs) The depths of the hypocrisy of which the human heart is capable. Well, finally feeling the weight of this hypocrisy and, and sin Judah was now a broken man. He was forced to finally see with open eyes the evil of his own heart and the harsh, unloving, critical way he had treated his daughter-in-law, his own family. And though he knew the misery of shame and humiliation, yet that sword piercing his heart at that time was the very breakthrough he needed. God's grace will triumph as it always will. And he showed his repentance in not only admitting his sin, that he was in fact more guilty than Tamar, but also in the fact that he never pursued her again sexually. And from that moment on, Judah was a changed man. And what is so incredible is from the depths of the pit, From the ashes of his own sin, Judah would rise, and he would become Israel's hope. He became a man who would bear his own cross in love for God and for his family. Something of a preview of coming attractions. And Back to Tamar then. She was pregnant with twins. (laughs) She had her sons. She was rescued. Yes, it was an awful thing she had done. You know, always see God's invisible hand of providence at work. Notice that one of her sons beat back his brother and forced his way down the birth canal first. And that son was named Farez or, or Perez here in the ESV, a name that means breach or breakthrough because her firstborn son was her breakthrough, the one who would deliver her from shame and poverty. No longer would she be an abused, abandoned widow. In fact, so completely delivered from shame. This is staggering. Tamar's name would become famous. Maybe you remember at the wedding of Boaz and Ruth. A certain blessing upon this couple, blessed by God. A blessing was invoked upon them, and it was this. May you be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Wow, if that's not a story of God's amazing grace, I just don't know what is. But you know what? A far more... Significant breakthrough would come of this, not just for Judah and Tamar, not just for the family of Jacob, but for all the world. For all the world, even for you and for me. Let me read from from Ruth. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Think about that. In Tamar's line, through her son, fathered by Judah, in a deceptive act of what incest, would be born David, King David. And through David, Jesus the Christ. Talk about a breakthrough. Jesus would break into history and bring with him the kingdom of God, bringing hope to all mankind, deliverance from the sin and misery and condemnation of our wretched nature in the fullness of time. Paul wrote God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus broke into history and at some point in time and space he broke into your life too and mind. and he comes as the light that shines in the darkness of our misery and despair and he brings peace the world does not know and simply cannot offer. He brings a future which is beyond our imaginations. What no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man has imagined. God has prepared for those who love Him. You've never seen, you've never heard, you've never even imagined what God has planned for you, what God has for you, if you are in Christ. Well, you know, Tamar's name shows up in the New Testament as well, in Matthew chapter 1, in nothing less than the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you know that Tamar, that, I'm sorry, that Jesus was born in a line continued by Judas and Tamar's act of lust and revenge shows that Jesus came for the purpose of being associated with sinners. That He might rescue sinners from misery and death and condemnation. You know, in revenge for His losses of two sons, unrighteous Judah wanted to kill Tamar, but the righteous son of Judah offered his own life for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ came into the world sinners to save, to seek and to save the lost. People like us, wounded, despairing, broken, bleeding sinners. And by faith, We are declared righteous, and we are made children of the living God. Talk about a rags-to-riches story. I just don't know of any better news than that. Do you? Tell me if you do, because I can't imagine better news than that. But you know, perhaps there's someone here who actually really hasn't experienced what I'm talking about, that... That transformation from despair to hope. If you haven't, you can. Today, right now, you can. If you will admit that you're just as evil, just as wicked as Judah and Tamar, and you finally seek what's called an alien righteousness. Paul said the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, not by the law, but given as a gift from God Himself in Jesus Christ, a a righteousness even for prostitutes like Tamar and rebels like Judah. If you would receive that, you would have that rags to riches story. You would have that hope. And so come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. Doubt no more. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous. Not the righteous. Sinners. Jesus. Jesus came to call. Will you give up your foolish pride and your self-pursuits in Christ alone? Will you find hope in crisis? In Christ alone can be your breakthrough as well. Oh, Lord God, such good news makes us shout and jump for joy, and our hearts are full If we know this good news, Lord, if there's someone here who is living a lie, living the hypocrite like Judah or like Jacob once did or even like I once did and all of us here, oh God, would you break that heart? Would you cause that one to even go in despair that they would cry out finally for forgiveness and hope in Christ because he's the only rock where we're safe? the only one who would purchase for us eternal life, the only one who gave his life for sinners. Amen and amen and amen.